Hi there, everyone. This is Bendela Krem, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Bendela Krem. My guest today is Jinx Monsoon, who normally is hosting this podcast, but right now she is having a moment of renaissance where she has just taken the crown of All-Stars Season 7, the all-winners season. She is now the queen of all queens, and we're going to talk about her, her career, our friendship and working relationship, her upcoming projects, and everything that makes Jinx Jinx. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into this episode of Hi Jinx. You did great. M. Oh. M. Mom! I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, the fascinating person (laughs) is me, but I'm not interviewing myself. Instead, I am putting my trust into my best friend, Ben de la Creme. So, Dela, take it away. Wow, it's really bold of you to put your trust in me, considering how well you know me. <laughs> oh, well, Jinx, I am honored to be here. And folks at home or in your car or wherever you are, today we are joined by actress, comedian, writer, producer, my best friend, and the newly crowned queen of all queens, Jinx Monsoon. Hi, Jinx. Hi, Dela. Welcome to my show. <laughs> and congratulations. It's so exciting. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. It's really been quite the quite the journey waiting for these results. And I know. What what was the uh, do you remember the gestation period between filming and airing for either of your seasons, because I feel like this was twice as long. Yes, uh, Eternity, I believe, <laughs> yeah. is what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so double Eternity yes. is how long we've been waiting <laughs> for. Um, so how have the past few days been? How has the fan response been? How is the everything? Well, you know, um, I, I made a decision before the final episode aired to kind of disengage from social media so that everyone has an opportunity to feel their feelings. <laughs> because I know there's always a lot of feelings around the final episode. Every season, whoever wins, whoever is the runner-up, there's lots and lots of feelings. And I feel like those feelings can be expressed without me having to participate in them, you know? I think that's a really good way to view that. So I've kind of disengaged. Not like I'm not hip to what's, you know, going on out there, but... I've <laughs> Nana's dis- hip. <laughs> I've disengaged as much as I could, mainly just so, A, so that I can, you know, feel my own feelings and not be influenced by other people's feels um, so that I can, you know, enjoy this moment because there are people out there who will do everything they can to rob you of joy. And I'm just not going to let that happen this time. (laughs) Good, good. I hope you're feeling very proud and excited about everything to come. I definitely am. And, you know, um, it's just... 
it's been such a wonderful season to watch as as an audience member. It's been a wonderful season to participate in as a queen. And um, I'm just so happy for my seven other castmates because we all just have a whole year ahead of us of just fun, fun, fun on the bun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I already know this, obvi, but people uh, Did listening... Did you just pronounce the B in obvi? Obvi? <laughs> obvi. Obvi. How do you say it? Avi. That's not an appreciation <laughs> for obviously. That's just... Obvi. Avi is like a, Avi is like a, a a Portland name. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, yeah. You probably know ten. Short Avis. for Avi Shy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, but you know, folks, folks probably want to know what, what your experience was like finding out that you actually won because that's a lot of people don't even understand that there's multiple endings filmed and that you don't know until we all know. Yeah. I really didn't know. I really, really didn't know. Um, cause you know, uh, there's so many emotions on that final day and your head's such a blur. And then, um, you know, and then, uh, Mandela effect takes in <laughs> to <laughs> consideration because you start remembering things in kind of a like a wonky funhouse mirror interpretation of it. But you know, I've uh, I've done a few interviews now at this point. But you and I were together the day that we found out, the day that everyone found out, and it was five p.m. in Australia. What city we were we in? Oh, I don't. Oh, um, I don't know. It was like three days ago and we can't remember. Melbourne? Was it Melbourne? Melbourne? Yes, because we had two shows in Melbourne yeah. and we switched up the show that night. That's right. Um, so 5 p.m. Melbourne time. You and I were doing our makeup together. I was about an hour behind in my makeup process because so much stuff was going on that day. And so we had to pause doing our makeup so that we could watch the ending. And there was no way for us to watch it in Australia. So as a last minute solution, we called your partner, Gus, who pulled it up on your home television and then played it and filmed through FaceTime for us to be able to watch the ending. It was so nerve wracking and, but it feels kind of poignant that the video, you know, of my reaction is just me completely blank, covered in grease paint, because <laughs> that's really in line with what Drag Race is. Drag queens having in-depth emotional conversations or realizations while looking like a creature from beyond. <laughs> and I was so excited I got to be there with you during that moment. I was, it was, I know that you were like sitting there in shock. I actually was surprised. I just burst into tears. You were the one crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited and I was so happy for you and so happy when I could be there. And people can watch this <laughs> video of us in half face. <laughs> well, I'm glad you cried for the both of us because tears, it's funny, I don't... There's times when I want to cry. There's times when I want to become overrun with emotions, but my brain has so many things going on at all times that um, it seems like the only place that I can cry consistently is while filming Drag Race. Because <laughs> in my day-to-day -day life, I don't cry that or often. Or watching like rom-coms on an airplane. Yeah, with, you know, 
when I, if you have two glasses of white wine in your system, you're 30,000 feet in the air and you're watching the color purple, tears come easy. <laughs> but for some reason, winning Drag Race, I was more like um, in a state of shock. It was more like being hit by a car than, than you know, like a, Which a, you can, a tear factor. You can speak to from firsthand experience <laughs> exactly. the similarities between the two. I didn't think of that, but I said it. <laughs> In fact, that became one of your most quoted lines from the season on season seven when you talked about it during I the roast. I was hit by a fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> how was how was that to talk about in a comedic form? I think it. You know, I went through so many stages in life, and that car accident. Um, was very indicative of a lot of different stages in my life. But there was a long time I didn't want to talk about it because I got hit by a car while completely drunk in Amsterdam. And it's only now, you know, three years sober that I can look back at some of my messy drunk stories and laugh about them. Because when you're still in the throes of examining your relationship to alcohol, it's hard to talk about those messy things because they feel very much like, well, if you're having these messy experiences, why are you still drinking? And <laughs> and the answer to that is multifaceted and multilayered. But now that I don't drink, it's really easy to look back on those experiences and laugh at them and see how I can use them in my work as a comedian and maybe how an inspirational message can be plucked out of these otherwise very messy stories. Well, I think that's why people are resonating with that stuff too. It's because, I mean, you make it very funny and people think they're just reacting to these funny lines, but I think on a deeper level, they feel like seen by this way that through these jokes, you are you're finding something good in the memory of something difficult. Well, I think that's what drag queens do just overall. You know, like you and I both write from a place of truth and we tackle our subject matter in our shows in very, very different ways. Like you're very much about synthesizing it through the Ben de la Creme persona and everything becomes very presentational and... Um, it's all artifice. Whereas I take my stories and am more candid on stage and kind of talk more firsthand and there's fewer layers of artifice. But when we work together, it's this beautiful melding of those two writing styles. And it's so funny. We talk about this a lot, but our writing style together as a team is oftentimes me just taking a story that happened to one or both of us and just writing it down. And then you add in all these jokes that kind of remove some layers of candor and put up some more layers of um, presentation. And then in the end, it's a hybrid presentation of our collective truth. Did that sound too hippie woo-woo? You, you know I love that <laughs> shit. You, I, like we can, if the, just the two of us are talking today, we can go through such a hippie woo-woo path of like to the point where nobody will be listening by the end of this, but I will still encourage it. There's some hippies out there who listen to this podcast. That's true. That's true. All right. Wait, let's go back a little bit. Okay, um, okay. All right. So let's talk about when you first got this call for yeah. All Star 7, what went through your mind? What was the experience? Where were you? I, you know, this has been brought up 
so many times throughout the years, the idea of an all winter season. And I would say pretty consistently, I flip flopped on whether or not I would want to do it. And um, there were times in my life where I was like, absolutely not. I'm just happy with the way things are going. And I want to just stay the course. Then other times it was like, All-Stars kind of looks like a lot of fun. At least the first half of every All-Star season seems like (laughs) a lot of fun. The second half tends to get dramatic, you know. But I'll say watching All-Stars 2, which felt like a season 5 reunion (laughs) with like half the cast of season Mm 5, there was a sense of longing. Like there was a part of me that was like, I want to be there with my with my sisters um, doing this again. Um, And then watching you on your all-star season, it was just like, it was inspirational to me as your friend, watching you do so well. And kind of, you know, your run on season six was fantastic, but there was so many talented performers on season six. It was hard for anyone to kind of like be the one shining. So for you to go back and be like, hey, here's a whole arsenal of tricks that you didn't necessarily see on season six. Watch all these other things I can do. That kind of inspired me a lot. And so Um, When I got the call, I weighed all the pros and cons. I talked to my husband about it. I talked to you about it. I talked to some of the close people in my life. And the decision was made to do it because if I didn't do it and I'm watching it later and kicking myself for having not done it, there's no way to go back in time and and make the opposite decision. So I decided to, to go for it, even though it gave me lots of anxiety. That was very much, I mean, that feels very parallel to my experience of saying yes to it as well. Um, And I think that part of why my experience was so different on my second season was the first season I was all nervous about the unknown Mm -hmm. and not knowing what it was. And I think part of why I got to perform differently on the second season is because I was like, I know this beast. Was that a similar experience for you? Yeah, for me. And I think all the girls, you know, there was, you know, um, it was a very unique season for the for all all the winners because um you know i felt like production made it very clear that the season was a season of celebration kind of like a victory lap for all of us and with there being no eliminations there was just kind of a sense of ease and comfort on set that i certainly did not experience the first time and i don't know if this is true for all all-star seasons but like for all of us having been you know returning competitors and for a couple of the girls this was their third time returning there was just this sense of ease and comfort where like you know we know what we're doing here we know some of the camera people by name we're like you know we know how to help ourselves to craft services (laughs) so yeah it was it was definitely less nerve-wracking in that regard. It was more nerve-wracking in other regards. Did you know going in that there would not be eliminations on the season? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, Um. but um, I had a, let's say from the moment I got the phone call, I had a hunch and I had kind of made my mind up that I wouldn't want to do it unless no one was getting eliminated. Not just for my own ease, but like just... Because you don't want to take eight winners and turn seven of them into losers, you know? (laughs) 
And I always felt like if you had winners come back, this the, the format they, they went with is the way I felt like it should have been done. So suffice it to say, I was I was happy to get to participate in this format. Well, and it was, I think... You know, I've I've seen fans talking about just feeling it, it was one of the best seasons ever, that the queens really got to shine in a way that uh, is sort of beyond what they normally see. And it seems like a lot of that is the ease that came with that shift without mm-hmm. the without the elimination. So it, it just seemed like you guys were all having a blast together. You know, it was a lot of hard work. It wasn't always fun. You know, we had our fair share of emotional moments on set. And we all had our own anxieties we were dealing with. We all had our own things to prove. But yeah, like the beginning of every day and the end of every day always felt like a party with the eight of us. You know, we we really, we did everything we could to make it fun every step of the way. And even though there were difficult moments, the I remember the fun moments um, very fondly. And the way in which we just like, had each Jada is the perfect example <laughs> of taking some hard days and making them fun because she wasn't feeling, you know, she was um, a lot of fun to watch as Prince in the snatch game, mm-hmm. but she wasn't necessarily feeling the most confident with her snatch game when we were doing it. But then she walked back into the workroom and just flipped the script for herself and started talking about how great she was in the snatch game <laughs> and her attitude in the difficult moments really inspired me because Jada found a way to always have this upbeat, sunshiny perspective on things. And she really kept morale up. If there was a miscongeniality this season, I would have hoped for Jada to get it because she really kept us all smiling through the process. <laughs> she seems like a delight. I've never met oh, her. Oh, she's a she firecracker. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so what, going back to when you found out, you like you said, you checked in with me about it and you actually assumed that my response would be to tell you that you shouldn't do it. (laughs) And I'm curious about what your like biggest sort of trepidations were going in. Like, you know, well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's no um, secret that fan response can play a lot into, um, how things go post drag race, um, post all stars. And I am so proud of where we've gotten to in our career and the work that we create together. I guess there was this innate fear that like, if I go on and somehow fail miserably or, you know, make a fool of myself in any way, will that affect our uh, the trajectory that we are on together as a partnership and and as individuals you know i didn't want i didn't want to fix something that wasn't broken i guess but um you you really inspired me and gave me the confidence of just saying just go on have fun don't focus on the end don't focus on the final moments just focus on doing your best each challenge and showing off what you're proud of and what you're good at. And, um, and that's the mentality I took into it, you know, just, I mean, of course I put myself through a lot of stress because there were challenges where I was like, I really got to put my money where my mouth is. I've been talking for years about how funny I am. And so now nothing's harder than telling a comedian now go be funny. But (laughs) 
But, um... Ah, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. (laughs) What is one gay frog? No, anyway, um... But, yeah, I I think, um... I think calling you and having you say, absolutely go do this, um... Was was a big a big factor in in me deciding to do it ultimately. Well, there was and, no doubt in my mind that you were going to kill this thing, <laughs> and, but I kept trying to be like, well, whether you win or lose, blah blah blah. But in the back of my head, I'm saying this is really not a concern. <laughs> <laughs> challenges very memorable performances of yours but of course one of the ones that is also quoted back to you just constantly and was a huge success and made a huge impression was your snatch game where for the first time everyone was asked to impersonate two different celebrities what how did you come up with those celebrities were they your first choice where'd they come from um i natasha was when uh, I think I picked Natasha immediately, almost immediately, as I was going through my Rolodex of characters, because I really wanted to this time do someone who was still living and who could maybe like enjoy the performance. <laughs> um, also, Peaches Christ is um, very close with Natasha, and Peaches was like, Oh, I bet Natasha would get a kick out of this. And um, so I started working on the voice. I had met Natasha a couple times and got to do an intimate character study. Uh, the hair was easy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wigs by tips got that hair to me right away. Um, Judy Garland was a last minute um, decision. And I've spoken a lot about Thirsty Burlington giving her blessing. And Thirsty's a friend of both of ours. And um, she's just such a brilliant entertainer. And having her blessing was all I needed to know that that was the right choice, but I did not expect, I, 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 I knew I did well in the snatch game cause I was there when we filmed it, you know, and I knew I won the snatch game, but I didn't know that the audience was going to respond quite as, um, electrically as they did. Well, how did you feel watching it back? Were you, you know, I mean, a lot of times when you watch your own, yourself on TV, you learn a lot about what happened because sometimes we black out in those moments. Yeah. What were, how did you feel when you were watching it? Were you surprised by how good you were? I, I, I was surprised. Yeah, I guess I was surprised by how, because I don't often laugh at myself, you know, like, cause I know the, what jokes are coming. But I think the most pleasant surprise was the positive response that Dave got for his shout out, because I really was on the fence about doing that shout out. I thought it's so perfect and it's my one chance to do this in a really poignant, funny way. Um, But I had that joke in my back pocket and I said, if it's going well on set, I'll give Dave the shout out. And it was going well, so I did it. And I'll tell you, I knew it was the right choice when... Rue had this moment of having to register what I was talking about. Like she kind of looked confused for a second. And then I saw the light bulb go off in Rue's brain where Rue was like, oh, Dave. And then Rue doubled over in that dry heave laughter that Rue does. And I was like, this, this, this nailed it. This. That's when you know. That's when you know. I hit the bullseye with the Dave. What made you think that that joke wouldn't work? 
I just didn't want to bring up yet again the trepidation that Dave had that maybe he was responsible for Judy Garland's death, which Rue had already alleviated him of that guilt. Well, and so you got a chance to reconnect with Dave after Mm -hmm. that. It like brought you back together and he was on the podcast. Yeah. So what was that like? Oh my gosh. You know, um, I think that's the most positive um, most like celebrated episode of hijinks to date, you know, like just the post about it on my Instagram got so much traction. And I think it's just, it's, it was heartwarming and sweet and it was wonderful to see everyone so excited because Dave is such a wonderful example of, you know, intergenerational connection between queer people and how there's, there's room for all of us in this queer community, you know, and I love to pay forward the th- the lessons I've learned from the golden generation of our community and the old guard of drag. And so to see everyone so excited for Dave and to see Dave so excited for his mention, just really, um, warmed the cockles of my heart. <laughs> and did he feel absolved? Does he feel that Judy think, has forgiven him I think through he, you? I think he feels absolved, yeah. Good. <laughs> okay, so speaking of Dave, uh, you know that during my original season of season six, Dave was the one who heckled me. Yeah, I talked to him about that. Yes, okay. <laughs> and what? A, speaking of being absolved... <laughs> I... I think he said something like he didn't know, it, or like you and I were such good friends, or, um, uh, you know, uh, he was trying to give something spicy for the edit. <laughs> but Dave's a wild card, you know? Dave, um, what, I, what I love about Dave is he kind of plays by his own rules. <laughs> and, you know, when you've... When you've been around a while and contributed as much as he has, uh, make your own rules. Go for it. You glow. You go, Glenn Coco. <laughs> you know, I have gone on record, and I'll just say it one more time: that my only gripe about your snatch game is that you absolved him because I feel like, for in return for heckling me, he should have had to live with that guilt. Um, well, it wasn't me, <laughs> darling. It was it was Judy who absolved. Okay, him, fair so. enough. Do you feel that you channeled her like Ouija board style? Like, did was did she come through you? You know, um, I, 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 I don't know. There have been times in my life where I felt like I've channeled someone Ouija board style, and I uh, definitely felt that way when I was stoned off my ass singing. <laughs> a Janis Joplin song in, in Janis Joplin style. I think um, with this, Judy may have been present. I don't know that she was inside me, but maybe she had her hand on my shoulder. Because <laughs> there was still a lot of jinx coming through. It was very much Judy Garland through the lens of jinx. That's like true. Michael, um, Michael likes to remind me, all the time, he's like, I don't think cocaine was Judy's drug of choice. And you made that Coke joke. And I say, it was the 50s and everyone was on cocaine constantly, so. <laughs> they uh, used to sell it in the grocery stores, didn't they? Just a little cocaine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like part of the... the gum. It, it was like part of that, um, the homemaker's uh, emergency kit. It was like... 
I, I don't know. I mean, this is also antiquated and problematic. Oh, really? But it was it like it wasn't just by the register as an impulse purchase last minute. I feel like I've heard rumors that in the fifties there was like a homemaker's uh, a, a homemaker's beginning kit, and it was like certain cleaning products dishwashing gloves and like a little vial of cocaine, but that could just be an urban legend. <laughs> That's one of those things that is very likely a lie, but I would like to just never disprove it. <laughs> let's just live in. Let's the, go with it. Let's go with it. Um, okay. So you reconnected with Dave. Um, what other, were there other connections that came out of this, whether it was like cool guest judges or connections you made through social media afterwards? Yes. Um, well, Two stand out, um, no, three stand out um, very presently in my mind. Um, Jeffrey Bauer Chapman was a guest on my uh, podcast shortly after he was a guest judge. And he is just such a sweetheart. He had the nicest things to say to me while we were filming and the nicest things um, during our podcast. And he's just such a sweetheart. Daphne Guinness um you know, has been very, very present um, in support on uh, social media for both me and Raja, because I think we um, we were both really, really excited. I think Raja and Daphne are old friends, and I'm a longtime fan of Daphne Guinness. So getting to know her and chat with her here and there. And then I have become, um, I don't want to overstate things, but I've become quite good friends with Ronan Farrow, who is just, I mean, besides being absolutely stunning, is just so intelligent, so funny, so fun to talk to. And he's been, um, he and I have been sliding into each other's DMs for a little bit. And now we can finally like openly and unabashedly celebrate our friendship in, in the public eye <laughs> now that it's all over and done with. And, and speaking of open, is this friendship going <laughs> to move to the next level? Have you spoken they with cut, your husband about those? They cut that. Um, I actually made this joke on the runway when um, Ronan was giving our um, feedback on the runway, but he said, Jinx, I have one question to ask you. And then he asked me like, what was it like to hear the girls like ripping on me for my weight or for my appearance and blah, 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 to which I responded. I love it. I love roasts. I love the chance to get to laugh at myself before haters, you know, get their try at me because when you laugh at things yourself first, it removes a lot of the power from your haters out there. But um, then I concluded my statement with saying, you know, Ronan, when you said I have one question to ask you, I was hoping you're going to ask if me and my husband are open. Um, and we are. So I think Ronan knows that he has a standing invitation to guest star. <laughs> Perfect. And Ronan, if you're listening to this now and you haven't gotten the hint, <laughs> here's the hint. Hint. But, you know, like a very friendly invitation, yeah. you know, you know, like we all have some, uh, I have, we, we have friends that, you know, you get, your friendship can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Ronan's not interested. No worries. Absolutely. <laughs> if he comes nibbling on your house made of candy, you're not going to try to throw him in a cage and fatten him up. Um, okay, so we've talked a lot about these amazing performances, but one of the other big things that was, I think, really exciting and surprising to people who have not been maybe paying a ton of attention to everything that you've done since your original season was your growth aesthetically, what you've like mm -hmm. done 
in growth aesthetically started it sounded growth like a aesthetic. growth growth <laughs> aesthetically well now i can't say it anyway it sounded like a fat my joke. aesthetic it growth it wasn't meant to be a fat <laughs> joke in any case um we've both had some aesthetic growth but uh but okay in terms of what you have learned just as a queen in terms of developing your look i mean you just had some insane runways they were so gorgeous and your look is so cohesive and you know who you are now i mean talk a little bit about a developing those runways and also what the response was on set when these people including rue who hadn't seen you for a while saw this swan (laughs) um well so i am a firm believer that no one person can have every superpower you know um Drag queens, in my mind, are much like superheroes. And we have talents and strengths. And if we were all strength, that wouldn't be very interesting. Like, no one wants to watch an invincible superhero do everything and never face any challenges. We want to see the depths. (laughs) We want to see the journey to the underworld um, in our heroes' stories. So styling has never been my strength, but what season five and what winning drag race or going on drag race period allowed me post season five was the opportunity to meet and work with designers who have those strengths that I lack. And, um, so really the credit goes to my designers. I've been working with Dallas Coulter, AKA the lady Hyde for years. Her work can be seen all throughout many seasons of Drag Race. And she is my go-to designer on all of my all of my work. Um, I've also worked a lot with Diego Montoya, who did the the all glowed up witch fire dress. And that was entirely Diego's idea. You know, like I had a few ideas, but I was like, Diego, if you were just told to create me a light up look, what would you do? And he drew inspiration from Myrtle Snow and American Horror Story Coven, who is a character that I resonate with very much. And when he presented me with that idea, it was just like, it was like a everything clicked aha moment. Like, this is it. Um, Wig Chapel, who I always love to send flowers to. <laughs> I'm always giving Wig Chapel their flowers. Um, you know, has been my wig designer for a while now, uh, custom creating all of my looks and that iconic, what, carrot, ginger, smoothie, (laughs) orange sherbet, traffic cone. Traffic cone, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course I worked with Zero Waste Daniel on the knitted look. So that look was completely salvaged and recycled. My, (laughs) um, Violet Chachki and Gottmik talking about that look, which they gave like the, mm -hmm. the toot of the week or Mm -hmm. whatever on Mm -hmm. the, but Violet's ability to sort of read it and sing its praises at the same (laughs) time is it's unparalleled. That's what makes Violet Violet. (laughs) And my first look on the runway, the, um, crowned Queens look was, um, by Aster Yang and so much work went into that that slutty Queen Elizabeth look. And I, it's really, you know, my runways are such a, a testament to the brilliant work of the designers I worked with. And also the collaboration, you know, like these designers didn't just design something amazing. They designed something amazing for me. You know, they have seen my work through the years. We've worked together in different contexts and... Um, you know, 
I think a big part of like um, a big part of having longevity in this field is knowing who to work with. You know, I, I'm very happy with all my collaborations in my writing work with you and Major Scales and Nick Sahoya and Kenneth Friend, who's my business partner and has a hand in everything that I do. And, and now my husband is uh, also a fountain of inspiration. But d- that collaboration with designers, you know, like a drag queen without a designer, you better hope that she's a seamstress because <laughs> a drag queen without a designer is just... A drag queen, I guess. <laughs> building a team is very much uh, is it's like building a community, and it's, it takes this village to create a queen. And Diego clearly, I mean, he designed this thing for you, but as you say, he clearly knows you so well mm-hmm. in order to create this thing. And then another designer that you've worked with over the years, I Jamie know, Jamie Von uh, Stratton, made that beautiful finale look. Jay and- Von Stratton did. Um, I knew I was. I know, and of course, it's someone extremely significant. So, if you're listening to this, Javon Stratton, don't think for a moment I actually forgot you. My brain just needed uh, some uh, kickstarting. Well, I know all of your designers (laughs) and have worked with most of them. So, you know, between the two of us, we can figure it out. (laughs) Well, Javon Stratton definitely gets a very, very special shout out because um, before I met Dallas, um, I was working with Javon Stratton a lot Um, before season five, during season five, after season five. And the only reason we stopped um, working together as much is because she got so damn busy with her own, um, with her own business. So I very happily was like, thank you for everything you've done. And she said, you can always still call on me on looks, but I've got to focus on my um, design business for a while. And I was so happy that she was able to take that next step with her designs. That said, she did create my spike look, which was the porcupine look, um, (laughs) which I really, really loved. And you talked me out of the blue shell. We could get into Which it. Nerds are still want. mad at me. Nerds are mad at you. Nerds are mad. But, um, but the rest of the world will thank me. And Jay Von Stratton also did my two pre constructed looks for the Wheel of Fortune Ball, the realness of Fortune Ball, and um, uh, my finale look, the suit of armor that I wore. Um, and yeah, another testament to someone who's known me so well throughout the years and has worked with me for so long that like I was able to say, I need a porcupine look. And we took a sketch that you did for me. And, you know, like I think Michelle said it best, like you hear spikes on the runway and you think, how the hell is Jinx Monsoon going to do spikes on the runway? And we did it perfectly for for who I am and what I like to trot down that runway. Well, and that gorgeous uh, multiple reveals of all the different uh, uh, painting influences. That was Mr. Gorgeous, a boylesque performer. Gosh, I... I, I <laughs> But it is this whole community and part of, I think, why it's hard to remember them is because these are people who are in your life and have been for a long time. Yeah. I mean, if I sat here and really like went chronologically, I wouldn't have forgotten anyone. But um, (laughs) so thank you for being here and knowing everything (laughs) that went into this so that I don't forget anyone. But Mr. Gorgeous has been a friend of ours for so long and has designed multiple looks for our holiday tours and multiple looks that we did in the holiday special, the film version of our holiday show and I think most like astonishingly created that polar bear look for um basically did taxidermy out of costume materials for that for that polar bear (laughs) costume um Mr. Gorgeous 
Oh, time to take my prep. <laughs> Mr. Gorgeous did, um, yes, the, the multiple reveals and the um, butterfly headdress that I wore in the Veiled It um, runway. And Mr. Gorgeous is so fucking talented. And I'm so glad that that multiple reveal look was celebrated the way that it was because so much work and planning went into that. And we had so many other ideas that we decided not to go with. And thank God, because every other idea we had was something that one of the other girls did. I know we had, you and I talked about some of those ideas too. Mm -hmm. When you were thinking through them, you shared some of those with me. And then when I saw the runways, I was like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, because I at first wanted to do a witch reveal. And at that point, lots of my runways were witch inspired. And you were like maybe you know maybe save the witch looks so they're more poignant (laughs) and I'm so glad I did because then that look with Diego was so fantastic um but first I was going to do a witch reveal very inspired by Into the Woods Vivian did that then I was going to do all the seasons Jada did that and I never would have been able to touch Jada's amazing reveals that was so incredible and I didn't get to see them until it aired because that day was so crazy for all of us um and then we landed on, it was Mr. Gorgeous's idea to do four different schools of classic art. And when I saw that it was going to end in Klimt, who Klimt is one of my favorite artists, I was like, this just feels perfect. And I'm so glad that the audience liked it as much as they did, because so much work went into that. And Mr. Gorgeous is just a genius. I think that might have been all the designers. Javon Stratton, Mr. Gorgeous, <laughs> The Lady Hyde, Diego Montoya, Zero Waste Daniel, Aster Yang. And if I'm forgetting anyone, it'll come to me later in this interview, and I'll just stop what we're talking about scream. and bring it yeah, <laughs> but the reality is, we're gonna cr- if we're gonna credit every single person who any drag queen has had help with, <laughs> right? I mean, like you've got obviously amazing wig people, major scales composed for you on the show, right? But, but if we go through all of that, it'll never end. But if well, people follow your work, then they're going to be able to be exposed to all of these incredible artists. Well, what I really love about this season, and we're talking about designs right now, but there's a conversation at large about this season. That when during a normal season of Drag Race or even a normal season of All Stars, it's really the queen versus one queen versus every other queen. And this season felt, I think, with no eliminations, it very much felt like we were competing with each other, not against each other, which is a phrase that gets used a lot when you develop strong friendships through com- uh, competition. But this season, I think, really encapsulates that. And it speaks to an aspect of drag that doesn't often get highlighted on Drag Race, but that is that it is a community effort. You know, as a drag queen who started in Portland, Oregon, you know, everything I was learning about drag was from the other queens in Portland. And then I moved to Seattle and Seattle had such a rich drag community and there's so many different ways to do drag successfully in Seattle. And you had carved out your own path as a producer and a burlesque performer and live entertainer. And, um, you know, I was doing mostly cabaret and theater work as a drag queen in Seattle, but it's like your friendships with fellow drag queens and fellow designers and the people who work on your wigs and the people who sell you jewelry. And it's like, It's all of that. Every drag persona that you see out there is a one-woman show 
um, produced by that performer, but with so many people having worked on it, you know? And I think that this season was a, sub- a celebration of that sense of community that goes into drag that we don't often talk about because of the cutthroat competition, you know? And it was great to be able to see both things working in harmony. A cutthroat competition inspiring the best work out of all of us, but also a sense of community that um, bolstered us as individuals. Well, you know, and you talk about the, obviously there is this, competition is a huge element to drag race, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, any way you look at it. Um, but you're talking about the ways that drag race reflects the drag community outside of that competition. And you and I have had that com- that conversation as well about, um, you know, we have a lot in our earlier days kind of referred to our working relationship as far as like sort of healthy competition where yeah. we really encouraged each other to step it up. And as a result, I don't feel that sense of competition with you in my life anymore. And that's like cool. But, but that aspect I think drove us both to really get better and better and that and that can happen without cattiness without wanting to tear the other person down but with just saying oh this person is doing something really cool and I want to challenge myself to do something equally as cool exactly um, in my own way and I think that is you know like even though I am so much about love and positivity and community, this is now my second televised competition and I've competed in pageants back when I was brand new. And there's just a competition element in being in live entertainment. You know, you've always got to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what audiences are resonating with and and finding new ways to up your game every year and bring new things to your audiences. And I think competition can inspire that. Um, uh, Not to get too art school about it, but there's a term called arte, which is like um, the spirit of competition inspiring the best work in artists. Uh, And it comes from like, ancient Greece, like there were like poem competitions in ancient Greece and stuff like that. Um, But not to get to art school. (laughs) But I do, I do think there is a way to have both. There is a way to have competition and inspire great work and have a sense of community. And like I've already said, this this season I think is a great example of that. Cause even though there were moments we were like, Ooh, like what I said to Vivian a handful of times was, um, uh, you know, you did so well in that challenge that it made me wish I had thought of that first. And I think I've always said that's the best compliment one drag queen can give another drag queen is that idea was so good. I wish I thought of it. (laughs) Which you've said to me before about something and that again, that felt like the highest compliment. Because drag queens are narcissistic beasts. So if we're saying something like, I would have done that if I had thought of it first, um, that's that's how you say, good job, girl. <laughs> and especially from somebody you greatly admire, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, that's that's a huge thing, you know? And speaking of ego, I don't want to make this all about myself, but there are fan questions about, um, about you and I and our dynamic, and this really feeds into one of them, which is uh, people wondering whether, like, how we navigate one or the other of us getting more of the spotlight at any given moment. And, you know, I think that, 
you know, it, it, it is interesting that you and I have moved through that competitive thing into something else where we have gotten pretty used to taking turns on that one. We do take turns. And I think the biggest thing that we excel at in that regard is being completely honest with each other. And it's so hard to do to admit to someone, hey, I'm feeling insecure because here we are, we're both famous for the same reasons. And right now you're having your moment and um, it's hard not to feel a little like on the sideline. But then what always gets us through those hard moments is our love for each other. Cause then it's like, yeah, my ego might be a little bruised by this one particular moment in time. But if I also look at the fact that it's one of my best friends being celebrated, it's easier to say like, okay, you know, like I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat and let her have her moment. And you know, we've definitely been through that in our collaborations. We've been through that like, uh, with our Peaches Christ <laughs> shows and collaborations. And then I Who think... Who is going to be the winner for the <laughs> I think um, I think the, the shows that we write together are a perfect example of how we navigate that. Because when we are writing together for a show for us both to star in, we are having constant conversations of how do we make sure that we're both being showcased and what are our strengths that we want to showcase. And I think one of our perfect examples is that like, you know, you are a very talented and very strong writer and lyricist. And I am very proud of my singing abilities. And in our last tour, you wrote a song. Um, it was composed by Major Scales, lyrics by you, sung by me. Um, it's called Looking at the Lights. And it is a perfect example of how all of our strengths can be shown through collaboration. And while it's me singing the song, it's your lyrics. And it's this like back and forth of like, it's the chicken and the egg. Like the song is beautiful because it was written for my voice and my voice showcases the lyrics, which the lyrics then showcase my voice and back and forth and back and forth forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, and on that song in particular, it's one of the only like just truly consistently earnest songs I've ever written that never gets broken with a joke. Mm -hmm. And it was about emotions I was experiencing at the time that I was having trouble sort of figuring out how to express and getting to hear you sing it every single night was so incredibly cathartic and beautiful to know that, you know, I, you can use the tools you have that I don't have to express this thing in the way that is like what it is in my heart. And mm. it's really beautiful the way that we get to, to do that together. And, and it takes so much trust and it takes so much, um, you know, we both have our whole careers written for ourselves. So to get to this point where we can write for each other and something like that, where you wrote a beautiful song that you weren't going to sing, you know, like that's not common in drag, you know, normally we save our best bits for ourselves. Um, so it was such a level of trust and, um, partnership with that song and my favorite aspect of it was you saying I basically wrote you a lullaby to sing to me every <laughs> <day>. <laughs> it, was it was very much that I 
have to tell you because this is just a little side anecdote. I don't mind if you keep this in, Will and Joseph. But there were moments during our press week for season seven um, where my alarm would just go off in the middle of a <laughs> interview or something where it was time for me to take my prep. And I have my prep set at 1 p.m. because it's the only time of day wherever I am, I know I'll be awake. Um, it was so funny to be like, in interviews with the other girls and my alarm would go off and everyone would be like, Jinx, it's time for your prep. <laughs> and then it was such a cute moment. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you can get on prep, uh, get on prep because it's our, it's our newest best defense against this, um, you know, thing that has plagued our community for so long. So whether, whether you're out there slutting it up or you just want to be um, contributing to the end of HIV and AIDS spreading through our community, you know, I'm, I'm so happy we have this option now. <laughs> so was there like a little cannon of like prep alarms going on on set throughout <laughs> the day? You don't have to answer that. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is like a, a hard left, but I... I love a hard left. My, <laughs> my absolute favorite thing that happened this year was Rue not knowing your name at DragCon. It is one of just the best things. I mean, for me, I just like, I watched it so many times. What? The question is, huh? <laughs> I was so taken aback by it because... <laughs> Your response is amazing. I was, yeah, I was just kind of confused, but I also like, you know, my feelings weren't hurt. I was just like, what a funny, funny moment. Because we've all been there where it's like some a piece of information just leaves our brain. <laughs> um, and there's all the speculation, like, was it a stunt? Was it, was it a publicity move? Um, but mostly I just couldn't help but love the comedy of it all. The comedy of it. Rue with those giant gold scissors pointing directly at my abdomen, like saying, what's your name? And um, before I reposted the video that um, circulated of Rue forgetting my name and, you know, got in on the joke with it, um, I actually texted one of Rue's friends and I was like, will Rue be okay if I repost this? I don't want to contribute to, like, um, and um, and he said, oh, Rue thinks it's very sweet that you checked in and uh, go ahead. Like, it's all for comedy, you yeah. know? And <laughs> Well, and it's especially funny. I think everybody, the whole internet reacted to it so strongly in whatever way. Um and then I think it's especially funny in retrospect now that everyone knows that you were in the top two. It like actually really adds to the punchline. Those moments of authentic comedy, like spontaneous, spontaneous authentic comedy is my favorite form of comedy. And that's why you and I on stage together, even when we're doing a scripted show, the best moments are always when something pops into our head. Either one of us thinks of something and then the other one is taken by surprise by how funny it is. <laughs> Or something random happens, like in the audience or on stage, and then you and I both respond with the exact same joke and the exact same punchline <laughs> because we're in sync and we have that performer telepathy. Those are my favorite moments. And that's why live entertainment, I love doing scripted work. I love doing video work. I love, you know, TV and film, of course. But live entertainment has this very, very special ability um, to to generate those moments of spontaneous, authentic comedy. 
So while we're talking about our stuff, there are some more questions from the fans about you and I and what we get up to. People are asking about uh, what our creative process is around the holiday tour when we when we get started. <laughs> and, you know, actually, it was funny because somebody recently, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, I don't even know if I told you this, was like, so is this character in the show this year? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, but tickets are already on sale. And I was like, That is literally always the process. I make, we make a title, we do a photo shoot, we put tickets on sale, and then we're like, so what should we do? (laughs) Our creative process, much like how um, uh, grocery stores and drug stores operate, uh, Christmas starts earlier and earlier every year for us. So, um, and we joke about it, but it's truly, this is our creative process. But um, the two of us get together essentially lock ourselves in a room for however long we have and just work intensely. And they're long days. They're really fun days because we crack each other up most of the time. Then there's also those days where we're banging our head against the wall, trying to make a joke work or trying to make a bit work. And, um, but the best part is not having to do it alone. Yes. You know, um, we both, we both have our, I think my favorite moments of our collaboration is when one of us has a really, really good idea, but hasn't narrowed in on what the best punchline is, or we're like, I have this great idea, but how do we present it? And then the other one fills in the gaps. And so essentially our creative process of, is like Mad Libs. One yeah. of us lays out a skeleton and the other one puts the meat on the bones. And we do a lot of, I mean, we, like one of us, I mean, I remember a specific joke last year, but it was like, you wrote a great punchline and then I wrote like an additional punchline on it. And then I think you capped it with a third (laughs) and it was, it was so solid. Um, You know, and it is like our process sort of, we do that intensive thing, but it also sort of starts in January where we just, I mean, you and I are on tour right now and we've been kind of like between shows and and airplanes and exhaustion batting around these little ideas that will percolate in our brains in the shower for the next month. The process really is year, year round because especially like when we're on tour with the holiday show, that's when we generally start coming up with ideas for next year's holiday show. And we will text each other out of the blue. Like I just had this idea. It's, it's September or it's, um, it's February and I'm thinking about Christmas, but how about this idea? And, um, again, uh, the level of honesty we have with each other is how the good ideas float to the top because, um, lots of the process is batting down the bad ideas. Well, <laughs> Cause I have lots of bad ideas, but. Well, we all do. And that's one of our, <laughs> right. That's one of the things that we always say is just, let's say all the bad ideas, mm-hmm. because that's how you like get to the, the good stuff is you just say absolutely everything out loud. Um, <laughs> I forget how this came up the other day, but you and I were talking to somebody and I think, I don't know whether you initiated it or they asked about one of the uh, big moments in our holiday special, which I don't want to say in case people haven't seen it, mm-hmm. go watch the Jinx and Dale holiday special. Um, but they asked you about who created it and neither of us who could, rem- can't could remember. remember. And that's a beautiful place to get with collaboration because I think, you know, we both have our 
jokes and our bits that we're really proud of. Like you wrote a gay and a stranger <laughs> for me to sing because it's not in line with Dela's comedy. Yeah, she but can't it's, say that. So. She can't sing it, but Jinx can. And, you know, we've written material for each other and we've gotten to the point where we can write in each other's voices to, to an extent. But yeah, the true beautiful moments of collaboration are when neither one of us can remember who came up with the joke. That said, we do have moments um, on tour where a joke will get a big laugh and we'll look at each other like, I told you I was right about that joke. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a melange. That is true. That is true. <laughs> um, and, you know, another one of the fan questions is uh, just about what do we look forward to most of touring together? And this, I mean, you and I, it's been cool because now that we've been doing this for so long, we've been on tour separately this year a bunch and like just texting each other about how much we're looking forward to be on tour <laughs> together again. And it's really fun. We're doing this in Australia. We we have our very last show tonight and then we go our separate ways until the holidays. But yeah, I just love touring with you. I love touring with you because we think so similarly that when there's something going on in the world or something going on in one of our lives, it's really nice to be able to turn to you and talk to you about it. And, you know, when we're separate, it's like we're dealing with different time zones. You know, we're looking at our phones at different times. We can't have those conversations in real time. And just like the same reason I love when, you know, my husband and I spend a lot of time apart, but when we're together, it's so nice to just be able to turn to him and talk about something in real time. And the same is true for you. Um, uh, You know, it's definitely, you've been as available as you could be throughout the airing of All-Star 7. But there were lots of moments I I just was like, I want to turn to Dela and process my emotions about this thing right now. And I don't want to have to wait for her to see my text message. But um, so it's all, you know, if we could... I'd, I'd tour with you year round. I'd, I'd bring major scales with us. I'd bring um, uh, Nick Sahoya would be there for writing punch ups. <laughs> but if we could just tour together year round, and um, you know, I do think there's uh, a growing appreciation for powerful duos. Um, you know, lots of the work we're inspired by, you know, like Broad City, Pen Fifteen. Um, Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, A search party. You know, there's these, there's really brilliant stuff being created by powerful duos. And I think I, I said in an interview I did earlier today, one of the most powerful things about a duo is you don't have one person's ego being inflated and that person getting lost within themselves. When you work in a duo, there's always this sense of grounding. And especially if that person is someone who knows you so well, it's harder to get lost in yourself and easier to stay connected to the work that you're doing because you're doing it with someone else. And I think one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, in my career, is continuing finding every way that I can to continue to work with the people who are with me before Drag Race, because those are the people who keep me connected to why I went on Drag Race, you know? 
So major scales, you, um, Nick Sahoya, all my collaborators, and, and I've met new collaborators um, along the way, like Liam Krug, who um, did Sketchy Queens with me, which will be coming out later this season, uh, season, this summer. <laughs> um we're currently in the season of summer. That <laughs> season of summer. Um, except we're in Australia, so it's winter here. But Ugh. it's those collaborations and not surrounding yourself by yes men and keeping those people who were with you before everything in your life that I think really um, keep you grounded to why you did this work, why you followed this path in the first place. And I'm appreciative for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we're touring together, something I, you know, there's a few things that I love that you've basically already said. I mean, one of them is just that we make each other laugh so much. It's <laughs> super duper fun. But that also we do have that, I mean, we are very vulnerable with each other. We can, we kind of take turns lifting each other out. of. We're both very sensitive. And we take turns lifting each other out of stuff. I mean, literally on this tour, it's been like every other day, one of us kind of helping the other in that way. We we have a revolving door of depression, <laughs> um, which sounds bleak, but it's, you know, it's just something we both deal with. Yeah. We both deal with mental health issues. I think we've both been very outspoken about our own mental health issues and how we deal with them and how we cope, um, which is a vulnerable thing to do to like admit, hey, uh, I'm cuckoo banana crackers, but chances are so are you. Uh, <laughs> um, but you have actually inspired me a lot in my own journey with my own mental health um, because you've always been so candid with me about things that you deal with and and through your experiences I've been able to go oh my gosh I deal with that too if that's how Dela's if therapy and medication is helping Dela I bet it would help me out too and and here I am you know um, years later um, I feel like I'm uh, a pretty well-equipped person, and I, I attribute a lot of that to friendships, but also therapy and witchcraft, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on from us, mm -hmm. um, there's more fan questions that shockingly don't involve me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so... A lot of people have been talking about your Snatch Game and specifically linking this to Saturday Night Live. Mm. I know this has been a dream of yours. Yeah. Are you currently on a campaign for Saturday Night Live? How can we help this? Is there a GoFundMe? Is there, a, <laughs> is there a, any other petitions we can sign? I don't know. I guess, um, you know, I'm friends with a few of the cast members of, of Saturday Night Live, and I would love the chance. I mean, they had Rue host Saturday Night Live out of drag, but I think it would be really cool to have a drag queen host in drag. Or maybe even two. Maybe two drag queens <laughs> Oh, even drag. maybe even the first duo hosting. Just a thought. Just Thought. Has there ever been a duo hosting Drag Race? Not I mean, not Drag of. Race, um, <laughs> SNL. Um, oh, yeah, I'd totally go on that ride with you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would love to see how you work with the obstacle of uh, drag, <laughs> you know, with the makeup and oh, everything. No, but, can you imagine this? Um, but yeah, I'd love, to, I mean, yeah, it would be a dream come true to get to be on SNL in any facet. And, um, if, uh, anyone wants to see it, I posted to my YouTube channel, uh, a past audition that I did, which was basically just impersonations. <laughs> and of course, one other big thing that you were really lobbying for like years ago, and then 
happened was you're voicing a character on Steven Universe, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And what other, okay, so SNL, Steven Universe has happened. What other things do you want to do with the momentum that you have now in just the, the Jinx universe? You don't have to take me with you on everything. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll allow some personal growth. Oh, I don't know. Anything having to do with witches, vampires, or ghosts, or ghouls, you know? <laughs> I uh, So I like mostly just watch animated shows or binge comedy shows. Um, but I love anything having to do with superpowers, which is magic, fantasy, all of that stuff. So if there's a place for a, a gender ambiguous <laughs> a creature in, in future projects, I hope people are um, aware of my interest. I love Rick and Morty. We both love Rick and Morty. So if I ever, I, I love doing Doing voiceover work. Basically, any cartoons who want me, any adult animated series who want me to to cameo or guest star, I love voiceover work because it's like getting to do drag without without the makeup. And you're you know? so <laughs> talented in that regard. I mean, your work that way is amazing. And as lo- you know, you're talking about goose and gold, goose and goose and, <laughs> goose and gold, the golden egg. You're the talking gold. about you're talking about ghosts and ghouls and stuff. I'm just gonna. I mean, as long as I hear, I would be remiss not to say the killer dolls. I want to be my uh, Don Mancini. If you're listening, season three of Chucky. I'm here. I'm ready. That's totally that's totally your journey. I I want that for you. But if if again if that was if there was a place for a duo of drag queens because I also love the Chucky series, but I'm not gonna try to step on your toes <laughs> because I want that for you. But if we happen to do that together, if we were both murdered by Chucky somehow, that would be another dream come true. But I want that for you. <laughs> and if I happen to be pulled into it, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly play the supporting character to you <laughs> getting murdered by Chucky. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for having me host this episode. It's really, really an honor that you would have me do this. It's very exciting to be an interviewer of you in this very exciting moment. Um, so, but this podcast has been going on for a year now. And um, what has that been like? I mean, this is obviously, you have so many things. You have all of your original music, you have your upcoming EP, you have all of this stuff. But this podcast has also been a really cool journey for you. Talk mm-hmm. about some of your favorite moments, favorite guests. Oh, I i mean, what I love about this podcast is the chance to just have conversations with people I admire, and then people get to listen to those conversations and um, hear these candid moments between me and, and some really fantastic people. Um, uh, highlights. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, there, I could think of a highlight of every episode I've done. But what I have to say is I was kind of nervous about entering the world of podcasts because it is intimate and vulnerable. But uh, And for a long time, I was doing these podcasts in quarantine. So I wasn't – I was seeing comments online. But when I started getting to tour again and hearing people at the meet and greets talk about how much they love this podcast or my podcast with Nick Zahoya where we review Futurama, which was even more niche, which I'm so happy people enjoy – that's when I really started to feel like, oh, this is this is valuable work. It's not just another it's not just another outlet. There's something valuable coming from it. And that's what I love about our work as drag queens is that we we often are doing things for entertainment 
It's often silly and stupid and campy, but there's always an underlying message, especially in the work that you and I do. And when that underlying message is received and appreciated, that's like what really gets me together, Mamba. Um, so I'm 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 so grateful to the mom and Forever Dog teams that um that had this idea for me to just do a interview podcast because it's been so fun and um yeah Daphne Guinness if you're listening we'll gladly have you as the next guest if you want to be I that just popped into my head I'm like why haven't I had Daphne Guinness on yet so do you have, no. any, do you have any other dream guests is there anybody that is tree you're barking up who you're waiting oh to? my gosh well I I know that like on the docket we have some amazing people I think um Ronan Farrow will be um uh, coming soon and um uh but I have for a long time been wanting to interview uh, Jennifer Coolidge. She's oh such God, an inspiration and she's had such a good couple of years and she's just been in my life for so long. So I'd love to interview Jennifer Coolidge. Has she interacted at all with the impressions of, of her that you've done that you've put online? Yes. Um, yeah. She liked a message I sent her on Instagram <laughs> and I, uh, you know, like that's all I needed. Um <laughs> Um, I also have, uh, you know, there's just so many iconic, uh, I'd love to have Sarah Silverman, a dream came true in having, um, Maria Bamford, uh, as a oh, guest, God, I love her. I'd love to have Sarah Silverman. I'd love to have, um, I had Deborah Wilson as a guest who, um, was on mad TV and who also voices a lot on, um, cartoons and, um, video games that I've played and watched. And, um, so yeah, basically, there's so many strong female comedic forces in the world that I've yet to interview. And I, I, you know, this just popped into my head, but Niecy Nash, I want to interview Niecy Nash so badly because she's been in my life for so long as a comedic force. And then she broke the internet with her coming out and, and the celebration of her wedding. I'd love, I'd love to get a chance to talk to Niecy Nash and see how she felt about Bob's portrayal of her when we did those, those claws promotional videos. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Hear that Niecy? Oh, like, cause I already got to interview Carrie Preston, who I, portrayed in those um and carrie was such a gracious wonderful guest so i don't know anyone and everyone if you're listening our doors are open to you <laughs> well i hear dolly keeps turning down drag race but maybe she'll do this <laughs> maybe you can get dolly um so what's what's happening next what do you you obviously we're doing our holiday thing we've talked about that at nauseum you've mentioned my ep i have an ep that's coming out um very soon um that is kind of the precursor to my next full feature album with major scales um uh so keep your eyes peeled for that ep in the forthcoming album Sketchy Queens with Wow, Pre with wow Presents Plus will be coming out um, later in August. And um, it's it's a really zany sketch show that I co-created with um, Liam Krug, who was my videographer and collaborator all through working from home. Um, I was lucky enough to meet this young videographer with a, a bevy of ideas and um, he kept me busy during the pandemic so that I was still churning out the hits um, even while working from home. Um, 
let's see. I don't know. So many things. I'm not even sure which ones I'm allowed to talk about right now, but just follow me on all the socials and you'll, you'll stay hip to it. Don't worry. (laughs) All right. And so now I think we're getting into the bit. You always end your podcast with a few Mm -hmm. questions Mm -hmm. and now is your opportunity to answer the questions that you have been plaguing everyone else with (laughs) over the year. Um, Are you ready for this? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. Who's your celebrity crush, Jinx? You can only pick one. Today, and this is just because this is the last post I saw on Instagram before you came over and we recorded this. It was a picture of Adam Driver with a horse in the ocean, I think. (laughs) I don't know the context of the photo. So the horse. (laughs) Adam Driver is so... (laughs) dreamy and i don't think i've even ever seen a movie with adam driver in it because i'm so bad at pop culture but he is so fucking dreamy i'm i i'm like questioning whether i should admit this but what movies have adam driver been in a star war for one a star war is that what it's called a star is war <laughs> star is worn star, um. <laughs> adam driver and lady gaga um yeah i i mean i'm so bad at seeing new movies I, if it's not about, you know, the Scarlet Witch or... <laughs> well, we were just on an airplane together and you watched two... <laughs> what? what? You, you, you watched um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for the first time <laughs> on an airplane, and which I was delighted by because I love that movie so much and I could not believe you haven't seen it. But even like on an airplane, you're still managing to watch the films of that era. Well, it's no secret that I tend to re-watch things more than I watch new things. And I found out, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but people with high anxiety and OCD tend to watch things they've already seen before because it doesn't ignite new anxieties and it's actually kind of comforting to see something where you know the end and you know the outcome. So I didn't know that 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 was probably why I rewatch shows I've already seen three or four times. But um, when something does break through and I do watch something new, I'm always appreciative for the experience. So I don't know, maybe it's time to watch an Adam Driver movie, but that's what I'm saying because I saw that picture with Adam Driver looking dreamy in the water next to a horse. He's my crush today. Crush of the day. All right. <laughs> I already know the answer to this and I feel like most people do, but are you spiritual? So I was raised um, a holiday Catholic, you know, um, and then uh, throughout my life, there's just always been these weird secrets that I've uncovered about my family and my lineage like multiple times throughout my life. Um, And now at this point in my life, I am staunchly anti-organized religion, but I am also all for everyone having whatever connection to spirituality that works for them. For me, it's the one-two punch of therapy and witchcraft because I find that my practice of witchcraft goes hand in hand with my um, with my therapy, my work with my therapist and psychiatrist, and I often find that like my witchcraft witch- rituals rituals pick up where therapy leaves off. Um, so that is my spirituality: therapy and witchcraft. And I've said it often, but I I think of witchcraft more as my philosophy and worldview than my religion. And all you need to do is listen to every episode of Hijinx to get the full gamut of my spirituality. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, therapy and witchcraft seems like a nice amalgam of two different approaches, and that seems like probably the healthiest way to go about things yeah. is with multiple influences. <laughs> All right, lastly, go-to karaoke song. Lately, it has been... Um, the winner takes it all, but the share version, and I do it in full share voice. Um, I don't go to karaoke as often as I used to, but my husband, Michael, is a big karaoke addict. And um, before I started touring again, we went out to a karaoke night in Portland, and I reconnected with a KJ, Rocky Rhodes, who who, who knew me back in the early days. And... Um, it was really sweet to reconnect with Rocky, but I sang Cher's version of The Winner Takes It All by ABBA. And I guess I was confused because I thought that song was from the perspective of the winner. And you say that song is from the perspective of the runner up. And I feel like. I'm I genuinely not, don't know. I, said I that, genuinely I don't said know. I said it to you with so much conviction. And then I was like, I don't even remember. I think it makes more song. sense that it's from the, <laughs> I think it makes more sense that it's from the perspective of the runner up. But I do see in my mind, it can also be from the winner saying, um, you know, kind of like a reconciling the complex emotions that come with winning. <laughs> well, it's also that I think my main, uh, my main memory of Winner Takes It All is the lyrics that I had to rewrite for the Peaches Price <laughs> production that we did of uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. It was a you going around in that little push cart swan that singing was, The Winner Takes It All. That was an amazing moment. An amazing moment. That was very fun. I just love Cher's voice in that song. I feel like um, I love ABBA, but I feel like that song was always meant to be sung by Cher. <laughs> well, Jinx. Well, Dela. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. And now all we have to do is turn around and quickly do our makeup for our early call today. Oh my God. I know it's so late in the day and I still have my email. It's totally time, I still have to do my emails. Oh my God, I have have some work I have to do too. All right, we better stop talking now. Yeah, well. I could do this all day with you though. I know. And and will, just not in front of this microphone. Just not in front of this microphone. Well, thank you so much for interviewing me, Dela. I wouldn't have entrusted the responsibility to anyone else. Thank you so much for having me. Truly honored. I love you so much. I love you too. Thanks so much for listening to Hijinks here on the Forever God and Moguls Media. Forever God? Oh my God. (laughs) It's my spirituality. Forever God. Let's try this again. Thanks so much for listening to Hijinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Bendel Krem, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. Well, not we, but Jinx has new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hijinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow Jinx at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and you can follow me, Bendel Krem, at Bendel Krem absolutely everywhere. <laughs> Jinx will see you next Wednesday for some more hijinks. You gotta say it like this for some more hijinks. Oh, okay, sorry. And Jinx, we'll see you next Wednesday for some more hijinks. <laughs> That's what you sound Perfect. like. That is what I sound like. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hijinx one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hijinx is produced by Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. 
Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.